Level Playing Field, a podcast about video games. I'm your host, Andrew Kimball, and joining me today is Aubrey Kimball. Hello. Joe Summer. Hello. And Dylan Wren. Hi. And today we're talking about indie games. Before we get to that, though, I want to let everyone know that if you've got feedback or questions, email us at lpfgamespodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Also, check out our website, which is www.lpfgaming.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Level Playing Field Gaming. Now let's get to it. Let's start this one out with a little what you've been playing segment. So, Dylan, what you've been playing? In between all the the games we've been playing for what we're going to talk about later, I've been playing just kind of random things. Some Apex Legends, the new season, I guess just recently started. And so I've been trying that out a little bit. I played Apex like when it first came out and with you guys a little bit, but haven't really played it much since then. But have started to get back into it. How is it now versus launch? Because I haven't touched it since it came out, I don't think. It feels very similar to, to launch. The map is new. I still just really like the the ping system in it. Having played a lot of Fortnite with my little brother over winter break, they I, I just really like Apex's style of doing things a lot better. It's a like I'm not super into battle royales. I I do kind of appreciate the like quick jump in, play a match, get it over with sort of feel to them. Yeah, um, which is why I've been kind of drawn to apex is because i haven't had a ton of time lately so i can jump in and play for like 20 minutes and then be done but like the fact that i can communicate effectively with a team without having to have a headset on or talk to strangers or you know any of that kind of stuff that, that i'm not really feeling yeah i really like all the the quality of life stuff they put in apex mm-hmm. to be able to play solo and still communicate without a headset Exactly. And so, and I, I just enjoy the shooting in Apex and the movement in Apex because it feels very similar to Titanfall, which is a game that I have enjoyed. And so, and I've gotten a few wins since going oh. back to it. So that's, that's been also kind of, you know, it, had I jumped back in and gotten stomped just ridiculously constantly, then I probably would have just stopped playing it after a few matches. But I want to say like every few matches I get a win in there or at least, a, you know, top three. And so that's been kind of cool too. Nice. And then I picked up Smash Ultimate. Been playing. Yeah, here we go. Not really much to say there other than, you know, it's Smash Brothers. I've been playing through World of Light a little bit. Yeah. And then just like, you know, random matches or whatever. And so that's that's been fun. I got it with the uh, season, the first season pass. So I don't have a ton of characters unlocked, but I've been enjoying That's what I was about to ask you. Have You you hadn't unlocked the full roster yet? Not yet. I don't even know how big it is. But I've got maybe it, like three rows of dudes. Um, but like the bottom row is all the DLC characters. Um, it's like 70-something characters. Yeah, so it's it's a ton. But I've been enjoying Byleth, actually. I know people Same. were upset when he got announced and released. And I, I get it. I mean, I, I there are a lot of Fire Emblem characters in it. But he's really fun to play. So, And then I've been playing a little bit of Monster Hunter World. Obviously, the Appreciation Festival is going on in the game right now, which means that all of the event quests have come back for the past, like, that have ever been available. 
And so that's where you can get like the cool armors and the cool like crossover things that are going on. And so I've been just trying to work on some of those armor sets and events that aren't available year round. Just trying to knock a few more of those out. Right. And then lastly, I've been playing Majesty 2 and some of the original Majesty as well. Our episode where we talked about games from childhood made me really want to kind of jump back into that. And so Yeah, me too. I've, I've reinstalled it and been just kind of messing around with it. It's not my favorite, but it is better than I give it credit for, I think. When I initially purchased it, I think there was some issue with like the the DLC where you couldn't actually like verify it had to connect to some server that was no longer active wow. and they've since fixed that. So I that has improved since the last time I played it. I still prefer the original Majesty. I think it had more options and and cooler stuff, but there are some cool things about Majesty 2 that that I've been enjoying as well. What you've been playing, Aubrey? Well, I actually got inspired by the games from childhood and the 50 questions. I think Dylan mentioned early on in the 50 questions something about Majesty being one of the first games. I know that was one of our first games growing up. Mm -hmm. We had it on the PC. And so I listened to that on my way into work. I was like, oh, I'm going to re-download that because we bought it. I bought it when it came out on iOS a few years back and then just uninstalled it because I didn't play it. And it takes up a decent chunk of memory. So I went ahead and re-downloaded it, and then I think it got brought back up again, and I noticed on my way home that it's just a really fun game, a nice little strategy, and so nostalgic. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I I quote the, where did I put my spell books things from (laughs) what the wizards say, and the the fawns when you eventually get to them, and their, their fleeing noise, the run, 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 like... That stuff is still stuck in my brain, so mm-hmm. I've just been going back and playing that, and it's it actually works really well in like a mobile setup with a touchscreen with the iOS. Mm-hmm. It's been a really easy way to get back into it because it is one you can just drop in, play, mm-hmm. pause, and pull out. Really, it's not like there's a ton of plot or anything to get wrapped up in. Are you yeah. playing on your phone? Yeah, I'm playing it on my phone. So the small screen doesn't hamper it too much. Not really. I mean, the graphics aren't weren't amazing in the original anyway, so it's not like you're losing a lot of detail. They did change it a little bit for it to make more sense, but mm-hmm. I mean, I'm playing it on an iPhone XR, not an iPhone 4S. Yeah. It's a decently sized screen. It's about honestly the size of my 3DS screen. So True. No, I I think it actually lends itself pretty well to to mm-hmm. mobile. Yeah, especially since you don't have to like command armies or anything. It's just kind of like you recruit the heroes and maybe put some reward flags on stuff and then let them kind of go off. It works surprisingly well on like Mm -hmm. a a mobile phone for sure. Yeah, because I mean, it was always kind of click and drag to get around the environment anyway, Mm -hmm. which is how you do it with a touchscreen. So yeah, no, it actually, I think it lends itself really quite well. And the thing I like about it is, it was $6 for the entire game. Mm-hmm. And then that's the whole game. Yeah. Like, like no if you, if you, microtransactions or anything. Yeah. Like they do in app purchases, but that's all like tertiary. It's not necessary to even properly play the game. So, hmm. well, at least as far as I've gotten, I haven't gotten to any of the really hard quests yet. Kind of want to go back and play Majesty now. Right. Good game. Do it. 
Well, what I've been playing, I've been bouncing around a lot, like Dylan, trying to find something to hook me for our topic today. But I also have, I started the Uncharted collection. It was one of the free games on PlayStation Plus last month as of recording this. And I was like, I guess I better start with the first game just because. And uh, it holds up really well in some aspects. And then in others, it doesn't. Yeah, it's not working for me. I think I'm going to have to just go to two. Yeah, I got to a point where I'm in like this room. It's like a big room with a bunch of cover. And there's a dude on a big machine gun on the other end of the room shooting at you. And then guys on the ground level flanking you and throwing grenades and trying to kill you. And then about halfway through that encounter, guys start coming in from the back of the room as well. And I'm playing on easy because I wanted to just get through the story. Mm. And this room has killed me like six times. And so I finally have just like put the controller down and, and I haven't gone back to it yet, but I plan on beating it. I'll, I'll get through it, but mm-hmm. I hear they're so they're such great games and such a great franchise that I feel like since I have access to it now, I may as well go back and play them. That it is worth the effort to really try and get into it. But I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's worth it to play one or if you could have just jumped on with two, just read a little recap of, of one, but. I mean, when we talked about my struggles with the first one, Caleb, the great big old Uncharted fan that he is, did recommend. He's like, just just play two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, I think it's kind of widely regarded as the better. Oh, yeah. they give, Between one and two. But. Uh, yeah. For, two is apparently the best, arguably, and then of the original three. And then three is close. And then apparently four is really good, but it's it's kind of a league above as far as you know graphical capabilities and whatnot because mm-hmm. it was a ps4 game and joe you just been playing world of warcraft pretty much i think i got one more week of going hard in that and then mm. and i'll hit a point where i'm just raid logging and i'll have more things to talk about during the segment yeah have, has your guild cleared the new raid boss no actually not on any difficulty yeah. What a bunch of losers. Well, Whoa. Part of it was Blizzard messed <laughs> up. Actually, they probably won't hear this, so. <laughs> but Well, they should. You should be promoting the podcast more. But Blizzard, like the boss was glitched for like 10 days, wasn't it? Something like that. I mean, I can I could spend a lot of time going into why the oh, race for Blizzard. world first was uh, messy. Yeah. But yeah, so... Basically what happened was the the final boss was glitched and wasn't doing what it was supposed to do in the final phase. And so the Guild Limit, which is a North American guild, and it's a big deal when North America gets world first. It doesn't happen often. Mm -hmm. Anyways, they were about to get the kill because the boss had glitched out when Blizzard just despawned it and went back and put the mechanic in there and some of those like there's going to be the secret phase and then it turned out later oh there wasn't a secret phase they just had to live and burn the boss mm. and they didn't know this until someone from blizzard emailed them and told them what was up because they were assuming there was going to be the secret phase and so their whole strategy was based around being mm. set up for the secret phase 
And then once they were told that, nope, you don't have to do any of that, just burn the boss, they got it down, I think, like, the next day, two days later. Gotcha. But, yeah, it, it was a mess. <laughs> so would would you say that Blizzard's on a roll lately? Oh, super on a roll. They've been on a roll for the last two years. Ever since the Diablo mobile game? Yeah, just about. Yeah, Diablo mobile game. Don't you guys have phones? The, they laid off. <laughs> 800 people which is between blizzard yeah. and activision i was gonna say that, that was activision that wasn't too. that wasn't all blizzard employees but yeah they went from oh best year ever okay all of you are fired and then yeah i remember that there was the whole hearthstone controversy yeah. warcraft 3 just wow in general is in a kind of a sorry state so mm-hmm. yeah you keep thinking like when are they when are they gonna turn it around come on guys positive note (laughs) let's move into our our main segment of this episode which is indie games so we've all kind of found one or more indie games to try or or maybe that we already had planned on playing or had already played and this is just a good episode to kind of do like a indie game roundup where we're just gonna kind of talk about it so joe since all you've been playing is wow why don't you start us off so just just to to get an idea of where we're all at, we've all played your standard four person dungeon crawler, right? Where you have you have a party, tur- it's turn based. Mm-hmm. So we're all yes. we're all familiar with that kind of gameplay. So I don't have to explain too much of that. Everyone on the podcast currently is aware of that. Is everyone <laughs> who's going to listen to it? I don't know. Okay, so if. If you're not familiar with the genre, I'm going to explain it anyways. So the the standard for the genre is it's you make a party of, you know, two to four characters kind of pulling from your standard D&D fantasy trope classes. And then you move them room to room through a dungeon. Most often they're turn-based combat and you'll have, you know, you can use a few abilities, you can use items. If you're familiar with like the action RPG that spawned out of Diablo, that whole genre, it's kind of that, uh, but instead of real-time running around clicking stuff, it, it's all turn-based. So Darkest Dungeon is that, but with a twist. Mm-hmm. Darkest Dungeon Ooh. wants to explore the psychological side of what it would be like to actually go down through endless crypts uh, facing unspeakable horrors. So, so it's miserable? Yeah. yeah <laughs> it sounds like your kind of game, Joe. Yeah, it's exactly my kind of game. It's it's the fun kind of hard. So I'm going to read the prompt that the game shows you when you boot it up every time. Darkest Dungeon is about making the most of a bad situation. 
Quests will fail and must be abandoned. Heroes will die, and when they die, they stay dead. Progress autosaves constantly, so actions are permanent. The game expects a lot out of you. How far will you push your adventures? How much are you willing to risk in your quest to restore the Hamlet? What will you sacrifice to save the life of your favorite hero? Thankfully, there are always fresh souls arriving on the stagecoach, seeking both adventure and fame in the shadow of the darkest dungeon. Damn. Yeah. So the premise of the game is your relative writes you a letter saying that your family has fallen into ruin and he is calling you back to the family estate to try to restore it because all kinds of supernatural horrors are more or less taken over the place. And so you show up and you've got this little hamlet where you recruit heroes, you put them into parties, you upgrade their equipment, you upgrade their skills, and then you send them into the dungeons. And while they're in the dungeons, they're not only going to take health damage, but they're going to take damage to their sanity. And as they go insane, they're going to pick up quirks, afflictions, diseases, and just in general negative effects that will make it harder for you to succeed. So when you get back to town, you need to also take care of each of your heroes and you need to send them to the church or the tavern to regain <laughs> some of their sanity. It's it's a tough game for sure. Yeah. It's something where after you've played for an hour or two, you probably want to go look up a, a beginner's guide just mm-hmm. to get a grasp of all the central mechanics. There's some things that are kind of unintuitive about the game. Like when you're building your party and picking your skills, your goal usually isn't to do the most damage, but it's to prevent the most incoming damage. Because uh, each ugh. each run of the dungeon, it's usually a bit of a marathon. Like, you're not just going to sprint through a couple of rooms. You usually have 8 to 12 rooms you go through, sometimes more if it's a really long dungeon. And so you need to be able to prevent incoming damage, and you can heal sanity, you know, rest- mm-hmm. get that little bit of restoration back. And so it's all about trying to maximize those effects so that way when you get to the end, you have your full party intact and -hmm. you don't have a whole bunch of insane people who you then either have to kick out or you have to spend a whole bunch of gold getting their sanity back. Yeah. So it's an interesting concept and I think what really helps draw you in is... It's the art of the game is this gothic hand-drawn style. Mm-hmm. It's very distinct. And there's also a narrator uh, akin to the narrator in Bastion who mm-hmm. says things during your adventure. And if you're, if you're into kind of dark eldritch horror kind of things, it, it's going to appeal a lot to you. And I think would be worth... You know, taking a couple of hours just to learn the game. Mm-hmm. 
And talking about the indie side of it just a little bit, the game was made by a team of less than 10 people. It's like a couple of programmers and then, you know, a few artists, designers. I think they contracted someone to do their their sound. Uh, They kickstarted the game back in 2014 during kind of those those peak Kickstarter days when that's what, what everyone was doing. Then uh, their Kickstarter was super successful, and so two years later, they fully released their game. And then since 2016, they've been working on putting the game on every platform you could want it on. It's on PC, it's on all the consoles, including Switch. It's mm-hmm. also on the PlayStation Vita, if you're one of the 12 people who owns one of those. Where did you uh, yeah. Jeff? <laughs> I played it on my PC. Okay. Yeah, because I've got it on my PC, and I have I think it's either part of Game Pass or, I don't know, I have it on Xbox too. Yeah, I think it, it is on Game Pass. But yeah, I, I played it a bunch on PC and enjoyed it. It's a, like you said, it's a very tough game, and not everything kind of makes sense to begin with. I feel like it's set up almost so that you, like, pretty much just fail your first couple of playthroughs tr- just trying to figure it out and then slowly start to to kind of understand i appreciate that there's just so much variety in the classes you know it's not just your your warrior mage rogue healer sort of situation it's like for every single sort of archetype there's i want to say maybe three or four different types of of character that can can sort of fill that role and i haven't ever beaten the game but it is one that like is right up my alley as far as story and and sort of content so didn't they announce a sequel or did Mm -hmm. i dream that they They did did. they haven't said much on it it was kind of one of those teasers that just confirms they're working on it yeah gotcha cool well aubrey what about you? What you've been playing indie-wise? Indie-wise. Well, I, I picked up a few things at the Lunar New Year sale on Steam, including Stardew Valley, which I haven't started yet, but is on my That's list now. My long, long, long list. And then the other two I picked up was one called Unheard, which is a, a Chinese game, actually, about, I guess, kind of the surveillance state, almost. You're solving crimes through use of audio that you pick up, you go into certain rooms and you can hear past audio. Hmm. I'm not super far into that one yet, but they do make use of the binaural audio use. So they recommend headphones and it, it is pretty trippy. It's pretty fun. But the one I'm talking about today is one called the lion song, which is an episodic, heavily story based series of short stories basically about people living in and around Vienna in like the late 1800s it's developed by a studio whose name I'm probably going to butcher Mipumi which is actually based out of Vienna so and other than the lion song they actually have done some support work and some help work on the hitman series and control okay so so a support studio as well for some bigger well, games. Yeah. Keep the cash flowing, I guess. Yep. <laughs> Got to keep the lights on somehow. 
So it's it's four chapters. The first chapter is called Silence, and you follow a composer who is very much in love with her professor, which immediately kind of icked me out. I was, <laughs> I, you know, like you could tell right away that he was only using her for her compositional ability and the fact that she is a gifted uh, violinist and composer. So any and it is there are choices and they matter. I don't. And at the end, there's kind of a, a tally of 84% of players made this choice, 60% of players made yeah, this like choice. Yeah, like how Telltale used to do yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's connected to a server. How does um, this game look? Is it like a... It's like a 16-bit... So you actually have control of your character and walk around and yeah, talk it's, to people and stuff. Yeah, it's point-and-click kind of adventure sort of deal. Okay. The first one, Chapter 1, Silence, is actually pretty static, really. You don't move around a whole lot. You play as Wilma, and her professor sent her into the mountains to compose this next piece, but she's only got a week to do it, and she's stressed out about it and worried and ends up talking on the phone to someone who recently got a telephone installed, so he just dialed a random number, and it connected to her. (laughs) And so they talk and get to know each other, and he helps her realize that this isn't She's not happy doing this, and she doesn't want to keep doing this. And so Mm. at the end, I had her decide to go home to her family and compose there and send her pieces in and not try and get caught up in the lifestyle in Vienna and the stress of all that and try to stay around people who are only using her sort of a deal. So have you beaten all of the chapters? or I've beaten three of the four. I started the fourth. The second one follows a painter. Mm-hmm. And the third one follows a mathematician. So the composer one and the painter one, where you're helping them try and make their art and solve their problem by using the environment and the story to help them do it, I related to pretty well. I was like, all right, I get this. It's okay. The mathematician one presented itself in a very kind of artistic like analogy based way like you you're not doing actual math which was good because <laughs> she was doing proofs which is i barely remember those from geometry and i hated them mm-hmm. so I, I had this moment when i realized what kind of math that she was doing i was like oh no like don't ask me to actually do anything along those lines so it is interesting sigmund Freud gets brought up a couple times, and every time I heard his name, it was like, "Mm -hmm." okay, like, how are we going to handle that? (laughs) But yeah, so it's been nice. It's been pretty chill. The stories are pretty compelling. The second chapter, the young painter has the ability to see layers, and so he's trying to dig into these people's past and you have to ask the right questions to get a clear picture of all of their layers and try and see the the facets of all the people he's painting. Uh, the third one, it's a woman who is trying to join, is trying to solve this math problem, mm-hmm. but it's Vienna in the late 1800s. So she's trying to get into this math club to get some help on it. And the great big old blowhard is like, women have illogical minds and don't know what they're doing and you can't be in here. So she disguises herself as a man and her math problem is about change and states of change. And it becomes, eventually she solves her problem 
by using herself as an example as she starts to accept this male identity and recognize that she's not either or. You could make a choice to live fully as her male persona or fully as her female persona or something in between. Mm -hmm. I went with something in between the kind of non-binary approach, which they handled very simply, very respectfully, didn't make a huge show of it or anything like that. So does each character and their story affect gameplay at all or is it all just the same kind of conversational thing and you're just solving different problems it's based all, on the scenario it's all pretty conversational there are some some minor things like with the composition one you were clicking on things in the environment that inspire her piece with the painting one it was very heavily conversational trying to ask the right questions the same with the math one it had like a few very simple gameplay mechanics where you had to shift and maneuver stuff to make it line up just right so she could solve mm-hmm. the math problem. But the the neat thing was is you kept running into characters as you went through it. So when you're doing the painting one, you actually paint Emma, the girl in the third one. Oh, so they're all kind of tied together. Yeah, so they're all living in Vienna at the same time. little overlaps here yeah. and there. Gotcha. So like Emma is friends with the man Wilma was on the phones with like his niece and they meet and interconnect. And so it adds kind of depth to it. So the fourth, the fourth chapter promises to wrap it all up. You see where everybody is. It's called closure. Mm. So it's almost like an epilogue, but they do say there will be more story to it. So I'm excited to get back into it. Cool. Yeah. Sounds pretty awesome. What you got Dylan? I have a few different games that I've either played through completely or just kind of have messed around a little bit in. So the 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 main one that I'll talk about is Call of Cthulhu, which is or developed by Cyanide Studios, and so it's based on Lovecraft writings and and that sort of thing. But it doesn't. It's not the story of like Call of Cthulhu, the the book that he or the short story he wrote. It's it just shares the name with it. Yeah. So there there are some things in Lovecraft's writing that are have not aged very well. Lovecraft uh, yeah. was kind of a racist, and so I, I do enjoy like reading his work, but more so for the like cosmic horror of like what a you know that oh man, here's somebody who discovered that there's some ancient old god that's real and what does that do to them sort of thing. Something kind of un, kind of like the old gods in World of Warcraft except for you can't just kill them like we've done to every old god in World of Warcraft. But you start off the game as Edward Pierce, a private investigator. A businessman comes into your office in Boston and wants you to figure out what's happened with his daughter. Her and her family passed away um, in a fire, and the police from the the town that she was in are claiming that she was insane and started the fire and killed her family and everything, and he doesn't buy that. And so they, you, you go to this little island community called Darkwater, and sort of start exploring and, and talking to people around the town and trying to investigate things. And so that's that's what a majority of the game consists of, is sort of first-person adventure 
exploration and investigation. You kind of go in and talk to all these people. You have different dialogue options to try to figure out things that, about your cases that you're you're working on. You also go into, you know, different crime scenes and stuff and start trying to sort of piece together what's what happened there based on environmental clues and that sort of a thing. So is it like pretty spooky throughout or does it build in spookiness or? I would say it kind of builds in spookiness because you kind of go into the game not really knowing what to expect. You know, obviously it's Lovecraftian and so you kind of expect it to get spooky as the player. But your your character goes in to just what seems to be like a very remote island village, essentially, and doesn't really think that there's anything super, super weird going on. Like, there's some unsettling things that have happened. Like, there's a dead whale in the port at the very beginning of the, the game. And then there's like some... It's set during the 1920s, 1930s, and so the prohibition is going on and so there are some like smugglers and stuff that are there keeping the town supplied with alcohol and that sort of thing and there seems to be something weird going on with them and then you start investigating like the the death of the family and and the more and more you start getting into that the more and more things start getting very bizarre i kind of liked it because you, you start off in the town, then you go up to the mansion where the, the fire was, and you, that's where you start finding, you know, secret passages and this cult and, and all that sort of thing. And then you wind up in an insane asylum that's on the island, and you, it, the whole game is kind of like, is what your character is seeing really going on or is he actually just like insane and like just imagining all of this stuff yeah like is it all in his mind exactly Um, so are there are there like enemies and stuff and you're you have to be like sneaky or do you have any like combat abilities or is it mostly just exploring and there's not really any i would say it's encounters yeah it's mostly just exploring there are so when you get to the insane asylum there is a part where it sort of switches over to sort of a first-person stealth game. You don't have any combat abilities. The only thing you can do is try to not get seen and and run away. And so that part I was not a huge fan of just because I am not a huge fan of first-person stealth games. Yeah, Um, Mm -mm. same. Like I, I know Dishonored is supposed to be really good. I'm just not interested in it that much because first person if i'm doing a stealth game i'd prefer it to be third person because i feel like you lose a lot of there were times in call of cthulhu where during the stealth section where i'd get like caught or seen by somebody who if i wasn't stuck in like the first person straight ahead view i would have obviously seen them and i think it doesn't do a great job of recognizing that in real life you have peripheral vision and that sort of thing Plus, there's always something, well, not always, some games do it better than others, but there's always that thing of you get to a certain point in a game and then it switches up kind of gameplay mm-hmm. styles on you and usually doesn't do it too yeah. well if it's not like the primary style of the game. Yeah. And so like it, 
it was passable, but it was not my favorite part, just kind of sneaking around. And But it's just for that level. You kind of sneak out of the asylum and go back to the mansion. And then you start, there's a point where you encounter like a Lovecraftian cosmic horror sort of thing. And so mm-hmm. again, you're stuck in the, you, you're put back into the stealth mode where you're trying to avoid it seeing you and coming to kill you while you're trying to defeat it, not with combat, but like by doing things within the environment. It does get to a part towards the end when like everything is going to hell where there is a little bit of combat, but the combat essentially just boils down to like you have a gun and it's based, the whole game is based off of the Call of Cthulhu like RPG system. And so rather than it being like a take aim and shoot mechanic it more so just like auto locks you on to the the different enemies and when you shoot it does sort of like a hidden dice roll to determine whether or not you killed them or not and so i really didn't i think i shot maybe like three people in the entire game so the the combat part is not very big i would say i would say it's like 90% 90% like exploration and investigation, maybe like 8% stealth, and then like the 2% is like the brief time where you're walking through the city and might need to kill a couple of people. So you beat this game? Yes, yeah, so I beat the game. Congratulations. To, yes, it was it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. There's I think four different endings, and so you kind of unlock those endings you have a choice of what you want to do at the very end. You kind of get to where the ritual is going on and you get to pick from four different options based on, you know, what you've done throughout the game. So if you've, some of the decisions that you've made might open up some options, some of the clues and things that you've discovered might open up others. And so you make a decision on what you want to do. I went back and like, I could I had access to like three of them and it has like an auto save right before you do it. And so I just went in and like made each of the three decisions that I had access to and then looked up a video for the final one. All all of them are pretty cool. Spoilers. Well, I don't know, should I go into spoilers? Nah, I wouldn't. Okay. But yeah, so the I, I enjoyed most of the endings and I thought most of the endings were good. I know there are people that have not exactly liked the endings, but I, I also kind of feel like a lot of the complaints that I've seen about the endings are from people who don't really understand Lovecraft's writing because most of Lovecraft's stories end with somebody like committing suicide or just giving up and dying. So real happy. Yeah, so none of none of the even the like quote unquote good ending in the game is not a positive ending. Right. So <laughs> So it was kind of cool. Like if you're looking for like a good ending where it's like you're the hero, you defeated Cthulhu, that's not going to (laughs) happen. If you're you're familiar with how Lovecraft's work typically plays out, you shouldn't be expecting that to begin with normally. So, but I thought it was pretty good. I think it had like a solid 75 or something on Metacritic. So, you know, probably not the best game you're going to play all year, but it, it was definitely a very solid one, I thought. Cool, so what else did you play? Yeah, so the next game I played was The Sinking City, which is another sort of Lovecraftian game that came out right around the same time. I think it came out a little bit after Call of Cthulhu. 
and it's published by Frogware, or not published, developed by Frogwares, who are the studio that does like those Sherlock Holmes games. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so they're I played um, one of those. I think there's one that was either free on game. There's some on Game Pass, but I think there was also a few that they've given away for like Xbox Live Gold. Yeah, and so I'm not super far into this one, uh, but it's also based off of Lovecraft. Um, stories and and books and ideas and stuff this one is third person third person like sort of adventure i would say still focusing a lot on investigation but you can also the combat is a little bit more fleshed out i haven't really gotten too much into the combat just because i don't really have much ammo to begin with but the premise is that this town of oakmont was hit by a natural disaster this gigantic flood and then you know there's some sort of sinister thing under the ocean that's that's causing people to go crazy and that uh, that sort of thing it leans a lot heavier into sort of weird weirdness like one of the main characters that you interact with so far um, in the game like kind of has a lot of ape-like features and then there's um, a bunch of other characters from Innsmouth which is a town that Lovecraft made up that look very fish-like so there's it's a little bit more fantastical than the the Call of Cthulhu game Um, gotcha but it's also I feel like it's an open world sort of investigation whereas Call of Cthulhu is more so like you're in a house you're in like the little town square, but you can't really go into many buildings you're in. Right, it's um, a lot more linear. Exactly. And this one has a lot more like side quests and side investigations you can do. I'm not super far into it, but I, I do kind of like the systems a little bit better. I haven't gotten too into the story yet, so I'll see kind of how that shakes out uh, as I continue to kind of play it. But it feels a lot better in third person for me. I, I just kind of prefer third person games. So. Yeah. So that was that one. Um, and then the last one that I've played is No Man's Sky by Hello Games. They initially released it back in like 2016 as uh, I think it was PlayStation 4 and PC that it initially got released on. Yeah, that um, sounds right. And pretty much everybody was upset and hated it because the developers made a lot of promises of things that did not end up in in the launch version of the game. Yeah. Um, But then since then, they've kind of, you know, kept their heads down, stayed quiet, and just been making improvements all throughout. Um, And there's an interesting video called, like, the engoodening of No Man's Sky or something like that on YouTube that kind of explains all of it. But they essentially relaunched in 2018, and it came to like other consoles as well, like the Xbox One, which is where I played it. It's still, I mean, it's. I think it still doesn't have some of the things that they, they promised, but it's definitely a much more fleshed out, much better game. They have multiplayer. And so to me, it's kind of a very chill game. It's first person or third person. You can switch the camera angles. You start on a planet and have to repair your spaceship and then you go to space and you start interacting with other other people you start picking up radio communications from these other travelers and you start trying to help them out and help them do things within 
the galaxy and trying to sort of figure out, you know, what, what exactly is going on. We have the general goal of just trying to make it to the center of the galaxy, but then also there's a, I'm not really sure if it's a race or what it is, but it's called the Atlas. And so at first you think that's going to be sort of helpful, but then it seems to be getting more and more sinister there are actually some sort of Lovecraftian themes in this game as well, I felt like. just because I'm noticing of, a theme here. Yeah, but there's a lot of just kind of a sort of cosmic, like, uncertainty, horror, like, not really understanding what it is. It kind of comes into, like, you, you get teleported into this world with no sun and all these weird shapes and creatures and then you kind of just wake up and see this big red light and you're not really sure what's going on. And it kind of just sends you back to an, another planet. And so it seems, and in, in talking to some of the other characters in the game, it seems like there's what you initially thought going in is not all it seems to be. But the, the, the minute to minute gameplay is kind of like you go, you land on a planet, you kind of explore it, you catalog some of the different creatures and plants and that sort of thing. You gather resources to build and explore more. And so it's kind of very relaxed, very chill. You can get like frigates and that sort of thing, build up a a big fleet of more so like capital ships. You can upgrade your weapons and your suit and your, your spaceship. You can get new spaceships, all that kind of stuff. So it, overall, to me, it's just a really cool, relaxing little game. Mm. Like that, I would say that a majority of the time you don't have to do any sort of combat or anything. It's just kind of like, hey, you know, go wander around and look at these weird things. So, and you didn't play it originally when it was hated. No, so so I, you're I, just basing. You yeah. just you don't have like a that baseline to compare it to, but what you've played now you you enjoy yeah because right. i i think i picked it up for the relaunch but i didn't have like the day one patch so i can kind of like relate it a little bit to i guess what it was prior to okay yeah. it wasn't exactly i think they there were some things that were in the game that i um, hadn't that weren't in the original launch of the game at that point but then like i played it a little bit before the day one patch and then after the day one patch and it was a vast improvement even just from that from the relaunch on the xbox but yeah i I didn't have the like anger and hatred going in that that other people may have based on promises that they felt like weren't fulfilled but it i don't know it's hard to describe i wouldn't quite compare it to like a minecraft but it's it's not like a maybe kind of like subnautica yeah, yeah. I would say Subnautica is probably a good um, comparison to it, where you're not necessarily trying to fight a ton. You're just kind of exploring and trying to gather resources to build the next sort of upgrade. So, Cool. And another cool thing about uh, No Man's Sky is with their most recent big update, I think it was, what, No Man's Sky Beyond? Mm-hmm. They put the game in VR. Oh. So you can play, I think on PlayStation VR, you can play it because it was sort of a PlayStation exclusive. So I'm not sure about like the PC VR headsets, but yeah, I've heard it's really cool experience in VR. Mm -hmm. 
And it would work pretty well because, you know, flying around in a ship stationary, you know, like you're just sitting there. It, it right. Makes sense. So my journey with getting ready for this episode, I didn't really have any indie games that I was currently playing and loving. I really wish that I hadn't talked so much about Katana Zero in previous mm-hmm. episodes because no indie game has hooked me like that one did. I really love Katana Zero, so shout out. Go go play it if you haven't. But So I went and I, I had picked up some games on sale on the Switch that I hadn't started yet, and then of course there's Game Pass to go and try things. So I tried Creature in the Well, which I liked. It didn't make me want to, I wasn't like dying to get back to it, but I, the gameplay is kind of, you're this little robot and you go into these rooms and basically the combat is uh, kind of like pinball-esque where you launch your little, your ball and it bounces around the room to, to create, to build up points and take down like turrets and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you use those points you've accumulated to open doors and you're kind of exploring this old abandoned underground factory thing, I guess, called the well where there's this giant creature in there that's taunting you as you're going through it so conceptually art art style wise and and gameplay it was all it was all good i liked it it just didn't really hook me Mm -hmm. Uh, then i tried the outer wilds which i did not like because i don't know it's first person aimless exploring the ship controls were really like kind of clunky and floaty and and just not my kind of experience i know a lot of people love it and it was you know a lot of people even called it their favorite game of of last year Mm -hmm. didn't click with me at all i tried crypt of the necro dancer which is fun but also didn't didn't click with me Mm -hmm. and moonlighter which i did enjoy i really liked the the premise yeah and I may go deeper into that one on like a Game Pass report in the future, but just mm-hmm. general, you, you go into dungeons at night and then during the day you sell stuff in your shop mm-hmm. that you found in the dungeons. And so based on like the customer's reactions, you sold something too high or you sold something too low or you sold it just right. And then you use the money you made to like upgrade your gear and stuff and go back into harder dungeons. And so that's kind of the whole loop. And so... That sounds like my jam. Yeah, yeah. It, it was pretty cool. But the one that I that really hooked me that I really got into is Orgroove, which I think is the developer's Chucklefish on that one. And I didn't write that down, but it's a kind of it's like a turn-based strategy game, so kind of like, you know, the Fire Emblem games, mm-hmm. but the but more indie obviously it's got that kind of pixel art style it's got uh the the tone is a lot more is is pretty lighthearted and and mm-hmm. kind of comical in some ways i've heard it compared to the advance war series which okay. i personally have never played so That's i can't really tanks. speak to that i think that one's like the the tank based one if i'm remembering it correctly yeah yeah i think so but i've really been enjoying it because I liked the the combat gameplay side of the Fire Emblem game I played, mm-hmm. and this is pretty much only that. There's none of the 
relationship building and talking to your students at the school and whatnot. And, mm-hmm. and it's simple enough to jump into and grasp what you're doing. And, and the tutorials are, are good at bringing you up to speed, but it's complex enough with, you know, units and criticals and how you place them and, and when to go offensive, defensive, all that kind of stuff that it's challenging. Mm-hmm. It's not just like a walk in the park. The story so far just seems you know, serviceable. It's 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 good. I'm not that I'm not far enough into it to really speak to it that much, but it's it's keeping the action moving. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure. Like it could get to the point where it's you know amazing, but I, I think it's just kind of it's just used to to push the gameplay forward. Yeah. But yeah, overall, I've. That that's the one out of the, of the whole list that I tried that has hooked me. It's it's got that, just that I guess, strategy gameplay that's not too intense. Mm-hmm. That it just it, it's really hitting the spot right now. Yeah, I'm playing on Xbox because it's on Game Pass. Mm-hmm. Seems like a perfect game to have on Switch though to have on the go. Yeah, I haven't stopped playing in the middle of like battle but i'm pretty sure that you could just well on the switch obviously you could just put it asleep but i think you could just like save and quit but some of the battles can even on early on where i'm at in the game some of the battles can kind of drag on for a while especially if you're kind of figuring out the game and you don't necessarily know you know Mm -hmm. the right approach to that that scenario but so it may not be the best to just pick up and play real quick but my time with it so far I'm, i'm really digging it Okay. And is it is it just single player or does it have like multiple No, there is co-op? I think on just based on what I saw on the main menu, I think mm-hmm. there is a multiplayer mode. Okay. What that is, I don't know. I don't know if yeah. it's online, if it's if you can do anything locally, if it's co-op, competitive, mm-hmm. except I mean I'm sure a quick Google search could tell me, but you know. Okay. Well, cool. I may have to install that one. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely worth a try. And like I said, with Game Pass, you got mm-hmm. nothing to lose. One other point that I wrote down that I almost forgot to mention is there are dogs in this game. Your main character has a dog, but then there's like a type of unit that is a dog. And mm-hmm. they're kind of like a scout unit. And when the dog unit gets defeated, they just run away. There, No dogs are killed, at least not so far. So that's a plus <laughs> for this game. There you go, Dylan. There you go. So now, let's move into the Game Pass report. Dylan, okay. what do you got for us this week? So I installed and played through some of the Lord of the Rings Adventure card game. So full disclosure, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan and a big 
like board game slash card game fan. Yeah, I was gonna say um, this was only a matter of time. Yeah. So so take all of take that knowledge with you into this report with a grain you know, if you're not a huge Lord of the Rings fan or not a huge card game fan, take it with a grain of salt. Dylan may be biased. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, Don't apologize for your bias, Dylan. It's all right. Um, <laughs> and no, so, but, you know, recommend with that in mind. Yes. So, you know, take that in, into consideration as you consider this. So it's a card game that's been translated onto the console, which some of those are hit or miss. And so I, I haven't played the Lord of the Rings, like, living card game that they've got in in real life. So I don't know for sure if this is a adaptation of that or if it's its own new thing but my impression is that they're pretty similar uh, at the very least and so you've got a bunch of different campaigns kind of set up that you you'll go through and all of them actually have like this kind of interesting little story so the the story is set in between the hobbit and the the lord of the rings ish so it, it happens after bilbo leaves the ring for frodo and is sort of just traveling to like going on another adventure sort of thing. And so you kind of meet back up with some of the characters from the, I guess, the the Hobbit and that sort of thing. You've got Glowin in there and Bjorn. And so I think it is based more so off of the books than it is the movies. But so each one has like, each campaign mission has two or three objectives that you've got to complete throughout it. You either complete the objectives by defeating some of the other monsters that are in there or it's a you know card that you have to interact with so many times you know it's it's maybe got eight little counters on it and you have to eventually take all of those off or something like that with your cards and so each each card has an attack a a health value and like a adventure value and so the adventure values is what you're using to sort of progress those missions and then the attacks are what you're using to take out the enemies um and so each each time you go then the forces of darkness get a chance to kind of respond to that you can build your decks if you if you would like to they also have a bunch that are kind of pre-made in there for you that seem pretty good so far i haven't run into any difficulties with them but when you're building your decks, I, I guess all of the characters fall into sort of one of four classes. And based on how you can choose three characters to kind of lead your party, and based on those choices, that unlocks different cards that you can use. So you can only use cards from the, the classes that you put in your, your deck. And some, class, or some cards are locked behind, like you have to have two heroes of this kind or three heroes of this kind. And so you can kind of mix and match your decks based on that. And so some of the more powerful cards are locked behind, like you've got to commit to, you know, having three green heroes in your deck. And so you're kind of locking yourself off of the other three types of card. So it's an interesting gameplay mechanic, I think. But you kind of go in and build that and sort of try to progress through the missions and so it's been fun so far Uh, i've enjoyed my time with it i don't know that i'll like finish the game i don't know how long it is but it's been fun so far and the one thing i will say that i'm not a huge fan of is there are a lot of different like keywords and things that your cards can do Um, and having played like hearthstone and the magic the gathering game that's on 
that they've just come out with, Arena. When there's keywords on those cards, if you just kind of like look at the card, it'll tell you like what that keyword means. In this game, you have to go into the start menu and look into the glossary and kind of look it up. And there's no oh yeah, it's kind so of a like, hassle. Yeah, like it's to me, it just makes so much more sense to have them like have had them pop up when you looked at the card. <laughs> um, yeah, just so that you didn't have to like pause the game, go into the menus to find it. It's not like a big deal, and once you kind of learn what they do, it's not that much of a hassle, but there are little things that they could have done just to streamline it a little bit better. And I'd imagine that this probably works better on like a PC than it does on the Xbox. But overall, I mean, if you like Lord of the Rings or you like sort of board games, card games, and you want to see how one plays on the the Xbox, I'd say it's worth checking out, you know, installing, playing for a little bit, go through the tutorial and see if you like the minute-to-minute gameplay of it. The story is interesting. You know, that's that's the part that's been kind of hooking me into it is just kind of following this the story. I don't I would imagine they didn't get like Galadriel or any of them to come back and, and do voiceover, but it sounds a lot like her. So Yeah, cool. Uh, is there any multiplayer in this game? There's definitely co op. I th- wanna say that there might be some PvP options. I haven't looked into that though. Um but there is a, a co-op mode that you can play with other people. So. Nice. Yep. Now, so is this um, is. is this like Thronebreaker where the game is a, a complete package? You're not going to be prompted to like get you know get more cards or there's no additional content, right? That is my understanding of it. There is some DLC, but I believe it's just like an additional campaign um, and and, like some other cars that you can use they're not necessary to like beat or play and you unlock cards as you play through the campaign and so it's not like a it's it's not relying on microtransaction card packs or anything like that yeah they're not selling okay Um, i might yeah i might have to pull it down then because i I like things like throne breaker or the first few hearthstone expansions where it was just a you plop down 20 bucks and then you get a play through a series of adventures and you Mm -hmm. don't have to worry about you know buying more card packs or anything like that exactly yeah because that was that was one of the things that i was curious to when i downloaded it was is it gonna be a randomized thing or is it going to be like a here's your cards go at it and it it's very much more like here's your basic set you get some more as you play through each campaign mission and there's not like a a store or anything so Let's move on to the elevator pitch then. So the basic idea of this segment is everyone who's on the podcast with me for that particular week will 
Come at me with a elevator pitch for a game that can only be one minute or less. Kind of, like I've said before, Cards Against Humanity rules, you're playing to me. So create something that you just think is generally awesome or speaks to me personally or is just kind of crazy and off the wall and may win just for humor's sake. Who knows? We're going to play this game going forward into the foreseeable future and then at the end of an unspecified time, declare a winner and recognize them in some fun way. So, also, if you, the listener, would like to play along, you could write in to lpfgamespodcast at gmail.com with an elevator pitch of your own and I'll read it and it will compete alongside with whoever's on that episode. So uh, how about this week? Joe, you go first. Alrighty, let me, or give me a countdown, and I'll start. Alright, hold on. He's ready. He's chomping at the bit. Alright, Joe. Three, two, one, go. Alright, so this week, what I'm thinking is, so imagine the guild quest lines from Skyrim and Oblivion. You know, Fighters Guild, Mages Guild, Thieves Guild, whatever your favorite Best is. Best part of those games. Oh, good, though, your favorite part. This makes us better. So, imagine <laughs> that, but focused on Kaer Morhen in the Witcher universe at a time when <laughs> the Witcher population was much stronger. So, the, the focus of this game was not not that you are a specific Witcher, but that you are your Witcher, and the game would go deeper into the Witcher lore and the different schools of the Witcher than uh, we've previously seen in Witcher games. Which just kind of scratch the surface if I did dig deeper to learn more about the Witchers themselves. Mm. So I think that in the format of the Skyrim guild quests would be great. Time's up. <laughs> Last time you took away, oh, it needs more Witcher. So this time it's all <laughs> Witcher. <laughs> Yeah, so Joe just said screw it, and he went for the jugular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was the, the expectation that got laid down last time. <laughs> all right, well. Oh, gosh. All right, well, mine's not going to pander at all. I don't all even right. know if you like this at all. Three, two, one, go. So my idea is for a time management-based game where you're working in a florist shop. You learn the language of flowers and what they communicate and what you know what they say to a certain person and so there's the actual level segments themselves where you're just trying to take care of customers and do what you do in a time management type game and then the story in between is you interact with a specific customer who has a specific need and then based on how they treat you you can choose to either give them a floral arrangement that actually says what they're trying to convey or if they're kind of a dick you can be like mm, no, I'm going to give you one with this flower and this flower and this flower and it looks pretty but if your girlfriend looks it up it actually means you think she's like a hoe or something like she's <laughs> really mean or terrible and so you can choose to like I don't know mess with people and maybe at the end of the game like it'll come back to haunt you or it affects your business or something like Time's that. Time's up. I think that's the most realistically doable pitch we've heard so far. Right? Yeah. I, I play the shit out of that game. I got excited when I thought of like, that. Like, of all our yeah. pitches, that's something that, like, I it think could, be could actually be made. It could be, be, yeah, be an indie be game, yeah. Yeah. 
That's a very Aubrey-ass game, too. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, I, I will play say. it. If someone <laughs> if someone makes it, I'll play it. Please. This is like the anti-Witcher for, for Andrew here. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Time management in the language of flowers. It's just so you. All right. Well, Dylan, let's see what you bring to this conversation. Okay. Well, give me, give right. me a countdown. This is going to be a solid in the middle. So. All right. <laughs> Three, two, one. Go. All right. So my idea is a a poker game. So there have been poker games that have been made before, but they're always like tied to you can buy chips with microtransactions. And so that always leads to like people who just spent money on the game coming in, going all into a pot and just sort of buying the pot the entire time. Because, you know, unless you've got double aces in your hand, a pair of aces in your hand, you're not gonna you're not gonna call them on that. I and mean, even then, they're forcing you to do that before you've even seen any cards. Um, so how's your game different? <laughs> so my game is there are no microtransactions, so it's all kind of based on you have this set amount of chips. Maybe there's like a login that you know gives you some each day, but there's there's not an out of game way to pay for these chips. And so if you have millions of dollars worth of chips, it's because you're actually good and have played. So time's up. Yeah. So that was that was kind of my idea. Not a super solid one, but it's I like, wasn't gonna burn anything good. What if these games good. didn't suck? Yeah, against it was <laughs> against like, Witcher the game. Yeah, I was like, I'm not gonna burn a good one when Joe's like uh, Witcher, Witcher Four, so. <laughs> Witcher mixed with Skyrim. <laughs> well, damn, Joe! Congratulations, <laughs> you're pandering one. <laughs> asked for it hey man i mean i'm not gonna lie i did consider aubrey's game too i was just because it was so different and like you said like could actually be made and and was probably the most unique thing Mm -hmm. out of that bunch i mean give him a chance to really sink into some dress up and be his own witcher and yeah play around and do quests and stuff he's he's not gonna pick flower arranging yeah, after yeah. that whole, you know, gamer's personality test thing that we did a, a few weeks ago. Yeah. That that game speaks to me, man. But I going forward, tests up. I'm going to try to maybe think outside of my own box a little more so Joe doesn't just, you know, come at me with, it's a sequel to Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> God of War 2. Oh, man. <laughs> what an original pitch. <laughs> so as it stands now score is aubrey one dylan two joe three now and caleb at zero that dude needs to get on the podcast more start yeah. stepping it up <laughs> how dare he not have a regular nine to five job like the rest of us and with that <laughs> This has been another episode of Level Playing Field. Thank you, Aubrey. Thank you, Dylan. And thank you, Joe, for joining me. I'm Andrew Kimball, and I've been your host. I want to thank everyone for checking us out. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing us with your friends. Just a quick reminder that if you have questions, topic suggestions, or criticism, send us an email at lpfgamespodcast at gmail.com with anything you think could make the show better. Say goodbye, everyone. 
Goodbye, everyone. See ya. Adios. really think about it you're traveling around in the mystery machine you can upgrade it you go to various raise towns your mic and or get closer or something so you're basically just talking about like the witcher but scooby-doo but scooby-doo so infinitely better yeah mm. no <laughs> i was on your side now i vote for joe's game retroactively no, no, no. His was like a, a trebuchet builder or something. <laughs> That's right. So like <laughs> like the PC builder game, but you just you're building a trebuchet. I, I mean guess. more or less. Like <laughs> 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 Would you play that over an open world Scooby Doo game? But I mean you you'd get to like you wouldn't just build a trebuchet and be like Yep, that's get, a trebuchet. You, you get to see how it smashes down <laughs> yeah. walls too. It's oh, like so the Kerbal kind of, Space Launch yeah. game, but for yeah, it'd be like medieval be, siege weaponry. You know, properly modeled and like we, they'd give you realistic targets so you could actually see like instead of just you know like getting a really heavy rock and throwing it. Maybe that's not the best way to do it. Okay, I'm more on board with this game than I was previously. <laughs>